Hi, welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 31, Esteeming Each Other. So thank you so much for your patience this last couple of weeks. I did my Easter episode and I um, wanted to try, like I said in the last episode, to do another episode while I was at my parents' house in Missouri, but that did not happen. (laughs) Um, I was busy doing important things like saying goodbye to my childhood home and spending time with my family and Um, my goal always with this podcast is, and and when I started it, it was always that I wanted it to enhance my life and not be a burden on my life or my family's life. And so this last week as I was there, it just didn't feel like the best use of my time for my life personally. Whereas normally I think it is a great use of my time and it benefits me a lot. But while I was on vacation, it just felt like the better thing to do was just to spend time with my family and be on vacation. And my parents are retiring. And so I had to say goodbye to my child at home. If you head over to Instagram, uh, my handle is come follow me underscore with Brie. And you can see a picture of it. It's really unique. It's kind of in the forest. And I remember growing up in it and I didn't really realize how special and cool it was. It's kind of this fairy A-frame house. And my mom has a beautiful garden. But growing up, it was an old house and we were a young family when we moved in and it took a really long time to kind of improve it and make it the really nice place it is now. So when I lived in it, it was um, it was great. It was a little crumbling, <laughs> but now my parents have it so beautiful and my kids just love it. It is a magical place and we are sad to um, lose it. But my parents, luckily, are going to take care of my grandparents in Wyoming. And I love Wyoming probably even more than my Missouri home where my grandparents live. And so I'm really excited that they're going to do that. All right. So enough about me and what I've been doing. This week is a super exciting uh, week of developments for the Saints. They are commanded to move to Ohio. Although I don't know that they were all super excited about it since it's going to require that they leave their homes and their family that doesn't belong to the church and everything they know, potentially their money and their businesses and their property and even more things that I'm not even thinking about. And I think it's easy as we study the scriptures and we read them to forget about the real human element there where that was, I mean, that was a whole lot of faith. And think about the difference in the amount of at least in my mind, the amount of faith it would take. Like if President Nelson told me right now that we were supposed to pack up and move to Missouri or wherever he said, I feel like my ability to have faith in that is maybe an easier leap because I see the amazing thing that the church has grown into and that the Lord has developed it into. Whereas these early saints, they join based on the testimony of Joseph Smith and based on their own testimony that he is a prophet and that the Book of Mormon is true, but they don't have this big established organization that's maybe a little bit easier to follow. And I'm sure there are many of them that that wasn't a huge hurdle for them. But I also am sure that for some of them, it was. They they probably sometimes doubted whether they were really doing the right thing and whether they really had made the right decision in joining this church. So in section 37, the Lord is speaking to Sidney Rigdon and Joseph Smith, who were in the midst of translating the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible. And just to give you some background on Sidney Rigdon, um, I found it really interesting. He was a Baptist preacher from Ohio 
and he was becoming quite influential. He was unique in that he had already had a great desire to have a restoration to the church of the New Testament, which is something that I hadn't ever heard about, like a, a movement that was back then. Some of his congregation had even attempted to follow the counsel given in Acts to, quote, have all things in common, which we know as the law of consecration. So Parley P. Pratt and Oliver Cowdery were on their way to their mission to go preach to the Native Americans when they stopped in Ohio because Pratt was a former member of Sidney Rigdon's congregation, and he wanted to share the gospel with his mentor. Sidney Rigdon and his family lived in a home that was provided by his congregation. So when they listened to the gospel, it was a big decision to choose to accept the gospel for many reasons, but one of which was that they would lose their home by converting. But after prayerful consideration, they chose to be baptized. And as a great Bible scriptorian and a powerful public speaker, he was very influential and instrumental in the development of the Lord's small, growing church until he became estranged 14 years later, which I encourage you to go read about. It's very um, interesting. So he and Joseph are commanded to pause that translation of the Bible to move the saints to Ohio. But first, they are told that they need to go focus on strengthening the membership of the church before they go, especially in Colesville. And just a little side note, I love how the Lord says in here, it says, more especially in Colesville, for behold, they pray unto me in much faith. And I love how he points out how he knows about and has noticed and is honoring those prayers, which is just yet another witness of how important prayer is and that he really hears us and will find a way to answer those prayers. Now, I love how the Lord ended this chapter when he said in verse 4, Behold, here is wisdom, and let every man choose for himself until I come, even so, amen. So here, of course, he's talking about the saints moving to Ohio. And at this time, it was a commandment. And we have plenty of commandments that we are supposed to follow. Of course, we're not really we're not supposed to move to Ohio right now. But we have plenty of commandments that we can liken that scripture to. Is there a more perfect way to put how the Lord does things in general? He gives us commandments saying, behold, here is wisdom. Here's the best way. Here's the way back to me. Happiness, eternal life and families, progression, freedom. But let every man choose for himself. It is your choice. Second Nephi chapter two, verse 27. Wherefore men are free according to the flesh and all things that are given them, which are, which are expedient unto man. And they are free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men or to choose captivity and death according to the captivity and power of the devil. For he seeketh that all men might be miserable like unto himself. We are always given a choice. We always have a choice. The Lord gives us commandments. He tells us here is wisdom, but we get to choose for ourselves. All right, so I think that the Lord knew in the section that followed that the saints needed some motivation and inspiration and direction and some promised blessings if they heeded his command to leave and move to Ohio, which is much farther away from developed civilization. Ohio was still rough country at that time. So in section 38, he gives them a spiritual feast to nourish them in their conference that was to be held on January 2nd. So he starts this section by reassuring them that he knows all things. Listen to this introduction. I love reading when the Lord introduces himself because I think there's always purpose to it. Thus saith the Lord your God, even Jesus Christ, the great I am, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, 
the same which looketh upon the wide expanse of eternity and all the seraphic hosts of heaven before the world was made, the same which knoweth all things, for all things are present before mine eyes. So like I said, there is a purpose to introducing himself like that. And of course, we always want to give glory to God and there is purpose in that. But I also think that there is comfort. He was comforting them saying, I know all things. He was reassuring them that they could trust him. The Lord was helping develop their faith that his plan was perfect and that his perspective is all knowing. And we can apply this in so many ways in our day. And the thing that comes to mind is the alarm that I sometimes feel as I'm watching the world drift farther and farther away from God. And our views as a church are becoming increasingly more unpopular. And we need to learn to become more comfortable with that because we know until he comes again, it's not going to get any better. We know that we will be persecuted. We know that we will be unpopular and in the minority. And that is okay. It is part of the plan. And as we start to feel that increasing pressure that's happening from the world, we are still commanded not to follow the world's self-gratifying version of morality, but to trust that his ways are higher than ours, that he is the source of truth, even when the world's way seems convincing at times. Like it or not, we are within the culture of the world. We are within the world, but we don't need to be of the world. But that can get really, really hard because the power of culture to a human being is strong. And so we need to learn to rely on the Lord and trust that he knows everything that's coming, everything that has ever happened, everything that is happening now, and trust that his perspective is perfect and trustworthy and something that we can rely on no matter what's happening in the world. I absolutely loved how conference ended last week. It ended with the choir singing, Let Us All Press On. And I've had that song. You can ask my sisters because all during the week I was just humming it and singing it. Um, the words of that are so powerful and especially that performance. I kind of love how they they slow down this particular verse that I'm going to read. Let us all press on. If we do what's right, we have no need to fear. For the Lord, our helper, will ever be near. In the days of strife, his saints he will cheer and prosper the cause of truth. Fear not, though the enemy derides, courage for the Lord is on our side. We will heed not what the wicked may say, for the Lord alone we will obey. And just a side note, I'm actually not really going to get to the next two sections, the last sections of this um, study, but there was a man named, oh, I forgot his name already, James Colville. No, wait, Colville. <laughs> um, and he, in section 39, he's given basically like a patriarchal blessing where it talks about that his sins are forgiven and it talks about his strengths and what his calling is and what his promised blessings are. And then in the next chapter, it's basically Joseph Smith asking like, hey, because he because James Coville just basically disappeared overnight after this blessing. And it was Joseph Smith saying, hey, what happened to James Coville? And the Lord says he broke the covenant that he had made with me. And it's interesting how he um, describes what happened in in James Coville's mind. It says in section 40, verse two, and he received the word with gladness. So when jo James Coville read this, basically a patriarchal blessing, or not read it, but heard it from the Lord um, from through Joseph Smith, he received the words with gladness. 
But straight away, Satan tempted him, and the fear of persecution and the cares of the world caused him to reject the word. And James Coville kind of just reminds me of the last line in that song. We will heed not what the wicked may say, for the Lord alone we will obey. Are we ever like James Coville, where we receive the word with gladness, and maybe you're listening to a podcast, or you're listening to General Conference, or you're reading your patriarchal blessing, or whatever spiritual moment you're having, and you receive it with gladness, and you want to follow through with it, but then you are pulled away from the Lord by the cares of the world and what other people will think about you. And if we are clinging to that, if that is something that is holding importance in our heart, then that will be our downfall because it is not going to be easy to hold on to what is right in this world as things wind down. But back to that song, that song is just like, it's like a battle cry or it's, it's just so encouraging and feels so just solid and reliable. The fight is already won. And I think it's hard sometimes to grasp because the world is all we know. We were born here. We live our lives here. We can't remember what came before. And we don't know exactly what it will look like as we move on from this life. So sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in thinking that the world is so powerful and so convincing and putting more weight on what the world thinks and what it's trying to convince you that you should think because that's all we can remember. We can just remember this life. And so without putting our trust into the Lord, the world itself can be really overwhelming to our spirit and our heart and our mind if we don't have the Lord in there with us. So our job is to remember that there is already a victor. The fight is already won. And the only thing that we don't know yet is, are we going to be okay? And that all depends on our agency and what we decide to do with it. So our job is to do what the Lord says in section 37 verse 4 and choose for ourselves if we will follow him. All right, the next part starting in verse 7 in section 39 is one of my favorite parts. It says, But behold, verily, verily, I say unto you that mine eyes are upon you. I am in your midst, and ye cannot see me. But the day soon cometh that ye shall see me, and know that I am, for the veil of darkness shall soon be rent. Something I thought about as I read this passage was what the saints must have thought. That I think we've all heard that that the saints, a lot of them, thought that the second coming would be within their lifetime, that it would be when he meant soon, it was like literally in a few years kind of thing. Um, and so when you when you read that where it says, And the day soon cometh that ye shall see me and know that I am, for the veil of darkness shall soon be rent. It makes me think about how for them, those saints who, who read this originally um, when it was revealed to the church on in that conference, if they were righteous and they did their best and lived a celestial quality of life while they were alive, they will be a part of that first resurrection and they will see him. And this life is so short that when they do see him, it will have been soon. It will have felt like probably just a blip. And the same for us. We don't know when he's coming and it could be within our lifetime or it could be later. And but no matter when it is, for the saints or for us, it is soon. His eyes are upon us, and he is in our midst. 
President Nelson said, Our Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ, will perform some of his mightiest works between now and when he comes again. We will see miraculous indications that God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, preside over this church in majesty and glory. Close quote. So some of his mightiest works, miraculous indications. Think of the mighty works of the Lord that we have recorded in Scripture. And we are being told by our prophet that some of his mightiest works are yet to come. And of course we know that, but he's telling us that we will see it. You know something that gave me the chills this last general conference? 20 new temples. The church newsroom said, quote, This is the second highest number of temples announced at one time in the history of the church. At the April 1998 General Conference, former church president Gordon B. Hinckley announced plans to construct as many as 32 new temples, though he did not list specific locations. President Nelson's announcement today of 20 new temples and their locations is not unique simply because of the historic number with specific locations. The prophet has now announced 69 new temples in three years as he has served as president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So there was a time that Gordon B. Hinckley announced 32 temples. But when he did that, although that's awesome, he didn't list the locations. And so what a clear sign of acceleration to have 20 temple locations announced and to have had 69 new temples announced and many of those begin construction. And there are so many other things that I could mention, and I'm sure that you could mention from over the last year, that I have noticed that are clear signs that the Lord is in charge. So notice those things and think about them. Write them down and show the Lord that you treasure those witnesses so that your spirit will be trained to notice those and many more that are to come. And then in the next verse, he commands them to gird up their loins, which means to gather up your long robe under your belt to free your legs so that you can be ready for action. And I think sometimes, or at least a lot of people I'm talking to, it feels like the conversation is waiting for things to happen, thinking to ourselves, okay, I'm ready for big stuff to happen, and I'll be faithful and brave when the time comes. But surprise, the time is here. It has been here for a good long while, but especially now, things in the world are changing rapidly toward he whose dominion this is. And we need to make sure that we're paying attention to what is happening so we recognize what is truth and what is lie. Because if you're not paying attention, by the time your decision comes, you won't really know what to do. And make sure you're holding to the truth that the Lord has revealed tightly. Because we know that Satan's goal is to lead us carefully toward the world or down to hell. And notice if you're drifting in the direction of the world. It is so easy to drift that way, and it will require constant diligence from all of us and humility and willingness to let God prevail in your life. And the first step of allowing him to prevail in your life is to let him prevail in your heart and mind first. Now, it can get overwhelming to try and understand and make sense of everything that's happening in the world. When I clean or I eat a meal by myself or I run, I used to have a lighthearted show play in the background. And sometimes I still do because not everyone can be serious all the time. But most of the time now, I listen to podcasts from people I trust about current events. And so now some of my days include hours of listening to what's going on in the world. And it can get very overwhelming. And often I struggle to feel like I understand the far-reaching implications of things. 
And when I do get overwhelmed or start to feel nervous or feel fearful, that's a signal to me that that's probably enough for today. And I probably need to take a little break because really my focus shouldn't be what's going on in the world. It should be in making sure that I'm staying close to the Lord. But on that topic of paying attention to what's going on in the world, Elder Neil A. Maxwell said, Meanwhile, don't worry if you cannot give glib explanations as to the meaning of all things happening around you. The Lord loves you, his children, just as Nephi wrote. Spiritual certitude can exist amid distress and perplexity. So many positive and prophetic promises are there to help Latter-day disciples to cope. The Lord said comfortingly, I am in your midst. And ye cannot bear all things now. Nevertheless, be of good cheer, for I will lead you along. The kingdom is yours, and the blessing thereof are yours, and the riches of eternity are yours. God watches the times and seasons. He knows your individual bearing capacities. In the very, very last days, for example, he will display his mercy in an unusual way. And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Thus, you can have faith full faith, and trust in God, his mercy and goodness. As the psalmist wrote, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Close quote. So my favorite thing that he says in there is spiritual certitude can exist amid distress and perplexity. How comforting is it that in this crazy world, Amidst all the conflicting arguments, the false information, the civil unrest, the political discord, endless news cycles with conflicting information, we can still be certain in our testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can still know and feel and see who is in charge if we stay close to the Spirit and if we seek for His guidance for our minds as we navigate these distressing and perplexing times. Okay, so he continues on reassuring and prophesying of his second coming to the earth. And then he gives us and them this reassurance. Some of you are guilty before me, but I will be merciful unto your weakness. Therefore, be ye strong from henceforth. Fear not, for the kingdom is yours. He will be merciful. He will enable us to be strong through him and commands us to fear not. But then he gives us a qualifier. So before verse 16, he is promising us that he will come, that we need not fear, that he will strengthen us. And then after verse 16 until verse 24, he's describing us all that we are promised after he comes, that we are given a land of promise, that we are to be free, that he will be our king and have no more earthly government, only having laws coming from him. And then when you get to verse 24, he repeats nearly the same thing twice. So listen to what this qualifier for all of these blessings is. Verse 16, And for your salvation I give unto you a commandment, for I have heard your prayers, and the poor have complained before me, and the rich I have made, and all flesh is mine, and I am no respecter of persons. I'm going to stop right there really quick. I love that part where it says, The poor have complained before me, and the rich I have made. Pointing out that the rich are not any better than the poor, because he says, The rich I have made. They are rich because of what he, because of his goodness and what he has done, not because of them. All right. So the poor have complained before me and the rich I have made and all flesh is mine and I am no respecter of persons. And then let's move. So we have between this verse 16 and verse 24, we have all of this, the things that were promised um, after the second coming. So in verse 24, it says, let every man esteem his brother as himself and practice virtue and holiness before me. And again, I say unto you, let every man esteem his brother as himself. 
So in there we have repeated, actually I think in this chapter it's repeated four different times that you or an I, nobody is any better than anyone else. It says, let every man esteem his brother as himself. And then after that, he even gives us a great parable to illustrate this same principle. If there is a theme in this section, this is it. Let every man esteem his brother as himself. So in order to qualify for all these blessings that we've talked about, we have to follow the second great commandment. And of course, we have to follow the first great commandment too. But in this chapter, we are talking about the second great commandment. Love thy neighbor as thyself. To not think of ourselves as any more important or worthy or with more potential than anybody else. To treat those around us the way that we want to be treated. He commands us in verse 27 to be one. And if ye are not one, ye are not mine. Elder Eyring said in his talk called Be One, he says, Our Heavenly Father wants our hearts to be knit together. That union in love is not simply an ideal, it is a necessity. The requirement that we be one is not for this life alone, it is to be without end. The Savior gave us a beautiful illustration in Matthew 25 that helps us live this principle. And I feel like if we're living what he says in this in Matthew 25, then we are or should be fulfilling this commandment to esteem our brother as ourself. So I'm going to read it. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon his throne of glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer, and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed unto everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. That puts kind of a whole new perspective on serving others. When we choose to not serve someone, we are choosing not to serve the Savior. When we choose to serve one and give of ourselves, we are choosing to serve the Savior. And of course, we're also given the commandment that we need not run faster than we have strength. And our first responsibility is to serve our family. And so there's a lot of balance to go within that. But when we serve other people, we are serving the Lord our God. So when you're not serving, when you're choosing not to engage with other people, 
analyze if you're doing that because you feel in some way that you are better than them or that they don't deserve your help or that you don't have time to do so. We need to make sure that we are giving of ourselves to the Lord, which is giving of ourselves to others. And don't you think part of esteeming ourselves as as our brother is not esteeming our problems as more important than them? When we elevate our own lives, our own insecurities, or our own problems above the expectation and the requirement that we have been given of the Lord to serve those around us, then we are elevating ourselves. Even if we're not actively thinking, I'm better than that person, we are elevating our own lives above the commandment we've been given to serve them. So this entire section, section 38, is instruction and warning and promises and blessings to the saints who are being commanded to to go to Ohio. And it certainly seems like the Savior's central message is unity. We are all in stakes of Zion right now. Think about what you can do in your ward to promote unity. Because if we are unified in him with each other, he tells us that we are his. Do you struggle with thinking that you are better than others in some way? And I'm not even saying the the general overarching, like, I am as a whole a better person. But I think it's a pretty normal thing for us to be good at certain things or have strength in certain things or have worked really hard for something. And therefore, in our minds, we elevate ourselves above others in that category or maybe in general, depending on how, how severe of a problem you have with it. This is the best advice that I know how to give. Ask the Lord to take that from you. Tell him you don't want it. Ask him to make up for the humility that you lack. Give him your pride. Because if you're sincere and willing to forsake superiority, he will take it. And it works the other way too. Do you struggle with thinking that others are better than you? I know plenty of people who struggle with that as well. And there are plenty of reasons that that is where you have ended up mentally. If that's where you're at, it might have been how you were brought up or trauma or mental illness or past sin that's holding you back. So if you struggle with thinking, not being able to think that you are as good as other people, ask him to help you gather the courage to ask for help. Ask for help to find good resources that will help you, whether it be a friend or a bishop or a therapist or medication or whatever. I know that is not instant. That is hard work that you will have to do. But ask him for strength to believe him when he says that he is not a respecter of persons and that you are just as valuable as anyone else, that you are of infinite worth. Let's not allow Satan's message that you are worthless continue to be elevated above the word of he who introduced himself at the beginning of this section as the Lord your God, even Jesus Christ, the great I am, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end, the same which knoweth all things. That Lord said you are just as valuable as anyone else, that you are of infinite worth. So do not let Satan lie to you because there is nothing he would like better than for you to continue to believe that your entire life. I want to end by talking about two things that we talked about separately. I want to bring them together. Remember how Neil A. Maxwell said this, spiritual certitude can exist amid distress and perplexity. I'd like to offer to you the thought that we don't need to be in agreement about everything, what everything means that's going on in the world in order to be unified. 
We don't need to agree on everything about COVID or about politics. We simply need to esteem others as ourselves. This is a time of perplexity. And like Alma acknowledges in Alma 3711, now these mysteries are not yet fully made known unto me, therefore I shall forbear. We do not know everything. This is a confusing time. But are we going to focus? Should we focus on the chaos that Satan is using to stir up our hearts? Because that's what he wants. That's what will help him achieve his goal for your soul. That chaos cannot be our focus. Let our first focus be the Savior and what he has commanded us to do. And he has commanded us to be one. And we can be unified. We can be one if we are focused on the Redeemer in our marriages, in our families, in our wards and stakes, and in the church as a whole. If we focus on him instead of the chaos that Satan wants us to focus on, then we can be unified and we can be his. He has commanded us not to elevate ourselves in our minds above or beneath others. He has commanded us to serve and love one another. And if we are doing those things, we are in Zion, we are protected, and we are His. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.